NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, Says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sell her a new one. What a sentence and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And I've skipped over all the preamble and just usually dive straight into who the fuck are you? What do you do? All right, all right. Well, happy to be here finally. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Well, my name is Anas Pekali, originally from Morocco. Uh, Tandem instructor, tunnel instructor, free flight coach, camera flyer. All things air. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, so, I mean, I know you as a tandem instructor and shooting video and, and uh, some swoop and stuff that you do for work, but uh, uh, you've had a, a couple of really amazing experiences in regard to skydiving and, and have been able to go some amazing places, uh, all of which we will get to after I find out how the fuck you got started in this in the first place. 
Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you, I mean, were you like an extreme kid? Were you doing stupid shit and scaring your parents? Yeah, well, all the time. Starting from driving crazy and racing <laughs> in the streets when I was a kid. Oh, and, Jesus. Uh, horse riding. I've done that for like 10 years. Really? Professionally, yeah. No uh, shit. Yeah, man. Like, I've been doing horse riding for a really long time. This is my favorite fucking part about this podcast is I find out shit about people I never would have guessed. I know, right? <laughs> a horseback. So, really, what, so what got you into to doing stuff like that? Uh, well, it's just like a thing in the Arabic world. Teach your son how to shoot, ride a horse, and swim. Really? So, from an early age, I, they, I learned how to swim, and I used to go hunting with my dad in the mountains, and then I got into horse riding. Wow. All right, so for, for an idiot American like myself, I know next to nothing about Morocco, except for you know the few little things you learn here from movies. What's Morocco like? Well, that's the main thing that made me do a lot of projects from Morocco, which we're going to come back to yeah, it yeah. later, which is like I travel a lot, and everywhere I go, when I send from Morocco, the only thing about Morocco is like the desert and Sahara. Sure. And which is not. We have a lot of mountains, ski, lakes, nature, a lot of nature. Right. And we have really long history and culture, which is awesome. 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 So doing all this, of course, if you're if you're um, almost raised with that mentality, the horseback riding and the swimming and the hunting and all that, I can see where it would lend towards the extreme stuff. Um, how about the car racing and all that shit? How'd you get into that? Well... <laughs> Back in the day, which my father doesn't know about this yet. I used to just steal his car and just go race with my friends. I can feel you. Eventually, when I turned 18 years old, I got my driver's license. And he got me this uh, sport Honda Prelude, which is like really like wow back then. Right, right. Uh, double carburetor and stuff. It was really fast. Uh, so he got it for me like to go to school and drive my sister to school. Right. But I used to just like race all the time at night or like... <laughs> It was fun times, you know. Yeah, I I did the exact same thing. In fact, I don't. I think I took it to a whole nother level. Uh, Junior and I actually just uh, interviewed both his and my mom uh, to find out what they thought we were like growing up as kids. Because you know, you always kind of want to ask. But I was the asshole kid that I would sneak the keys. And I would take the keys to the local hardware store and have copies of the car keys made, like lots of copies. So I would steal the car. They'd catch me. I'd give the key back. And then I'd just keep stealing the car until I ran out of keys. And when I was down to my last one, I'd get more made. Oh, man. I got arrested by the cops so many times. <laughs> and they chased me so many times. Uh, at one point, I used to just call my dad and tell him, like, ask him to stop, you know? Like, and right, like, 10 days before I leave Morocco for good, I got into this really big, car chase and like and they end up like arresting me and stuff it was like really bad jesus christ (laughs) all right all right see but that's that's funny because i would you're always so unassuming and you always got a smile on your face and i always see you being very cheerful and and respectful of of what you're supposed to do and not do so i have a difficult time see you drifting sideways flipping people off and racing away from the cops that's (laughs) kind of cool (laughs) i'm just using a camouflage to give it in fucking great man i love it i love it so how did the how did the air sport stuff start well, I've always wanted to, you know, like dream about skydiving and stuff, especially mm. because I grew up in uh, in the region where there's just mountains. So mm. as a kid, I've always like wondered how like birds fly and stuff. But getting involved into skydiving, it just started by a complete like accident. Mm. Uh, I used to study management. Okay. And as part of the like graduation, the school tried to sort for us some job interviews. Okay. 
And I was interested to go on the first job interview the school organized for us. So like I was like, I'm just going to lay off and see how this my classroom do. And mm. that's it. I'm going to learn from their experience. Uh, at night, the, the school organized for them, like, you know, like how to how to do interviews, you know, because like for students going to their first interview, they're like teaching them. This is how you talk. This is how you express yourself during a job interview. Mm. So I was just passing by school and one of the teachers came down. He was like, hey, Anas, like, you're the only one not going for this job interview. Like, why don't you just give it a go, you know? And I was like, you know, I want to see how my friends do first. Then I'll, I'll think about it. Mm. He was like, why don't you just come with us? If it goes right, perfect. If it doesn't, then at least you try. Mm. I was like, sure, let's do it. So I went with my whole class, you know, going for a job interview because I studied management. Mm. So suit up you know a tie and i'm going for a job interview <laughs> right um as i'm walking to my uh job interview i saw this sign in front of the place where i'm doing the interview it says become an indoor skydiving instructor you know and really screen playing this video of these two and you've flies. never done anything in regard to air never man before. never and i just saw this video playing of these two skydivers trucking in the sky and i'm like damn that looks <laughs> really cool so I didn't go to my job interview, and I just went to that office. And that's where I met Thomas. Thomas Gatev, the Frenchie. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. All yeah. right. Yeah, uh, which we become friends, and I just had dinner with him like a couple of weeks ago. But that was like 10 years ago. Sure. Went there, and he just started asking me some questions about my experience and if I'm like athletic to do this job and everything. And then I was like, yeah, sure. Then he had like show me some push-ups. And I was like, well, I'm wearing a suit and a tie. He was like, yeah, show me 25 <laughs> push-ups right now. So I took off my tie and, sh and jacket and I was like, boom, 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 25. And then I stood up and he was like, you look really tired. Let me give you a glass of water. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I do this all the time, you know? <laughs> In a suit. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, well, the job is yours, yours if you want it. Really? And, yeah, and I was like, Fine. It's like, we're going to train you to become an indoor skydiving instructor. It takes a month uh, of hardcore training, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, running and stuff and cardio. And as a kid growing up in Morocco, going to the Middle East was, it's the, it's like, you don't, you never think about it. Because for us, it's, we're more focused into Europe because sure. it's like close to us. We go Spain, Italy, France, Belgium. Sure. So coming to this region was like kind of like, you know, something new for me. So I didn't know nothing about it. So I went online. I was like, what's going on in that place of planet? Right. And I saw these tall buildings and <laughs> this like fancy stuff. And I was like, damn it, sign me up. Sign me up. I want to go there. Awesome. Well, and especially though, if, if, if something like that had always kind of been drawing you and you, it, you no pun intended, fell into it, yeah. um, it must have been a blast to finally get in the air. Because there's no skydiving in Morocco, is there? They just opened a drop zone, like two now, which my first ever skydive in Morocco was last December when I jumped with the, um, a flag. It was the biggest flag ever in Morocco to be flown by a skydiver. So that was my first jump ever in Morocco last December. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, now, so you start doing the tunnel stuff. You're an original tunnel rat. Yeah. That's All right. Well, I'm... I, I want to say I'm a tunnel rat as well, but I'm an old school tunnel rat because I flew in the tunnels that required a big baggy suit. Yeah, in Vegas, yeah. In Vegas, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I kind of had similar beginnings in that I knew I loved the sensation and the free fall portion of it 
um, long before I ever got to make that first jump. I fell head over heels in love with, holy shit, I can fly. You know, it's that ultimate Peter Pan thing, right? Yeah. Um, what about your first jump? Like, did you know when you started flying in the tunnel, fuck, I want to make a skydive? Well, that's how it started. Like, I started flying the tunnel and I was like, quick learning you know like i've learned a lot quick and i mm. used to coach a lot of skydivers and they always told me hey man like you got a talent here why don't you take it to the sky and just do what you do in the tunnel in the sky mm. and that's what i started getting interested into it and a little bit before that that's how i met jay russ and steph okay all right and shout out to jay russ so yeah man everything i know about skydiving and tunnel flying it's from jay russ and steph and for people who doesn't know who's jay russ and steph they're like the world champions in vfs like for the past i don't know seven eight years something now. like that yeah for those yeah. that don't even know jay russ it's jason russell jason Russell, yes, the rock star and stephanie strange yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely they are besides being amazing skydivers they're both sweethearts oh my i love those guys which man. is funny because if you look at jay russ he's got the bald head oh, he's got the little soul patch under scary. his lip he's <laughs> fucking covered in tattoos and you're like this motherfucker i don't want to get into a dark alley with this guy and oh, yeah. he's a big sweetheart oh man like he has the biggest heart and he's just like everything i learned about if started with tunnel flying they used to come and coach skydivers there and they're like hey Anas, get your helmet and come with us in the tunnel i'll sure. coach you some stuff so that's how i start learning from them and eventually when i wanted to start skydiving they're the one who took me on my first jump. Oh, that's fucking cool. And I remember like on my first skydive, I was holding a, I think a Fanta or something like that, drinking. I'm sitting down at the drop zone. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? I'm a tunnel instructor. Let me stay there. Right. Why I want to jump from a plane? Right. I'm, I'm from Morocco. We don't do this shit there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. The only thing we do there is play football and that's it. Right. And uh, they're like, hey, I'm asking you on a 15 minute call. And I was like, damn. We got into the plane, and the more the plane is climbing up, I look from the window, and I'm like, oh, I want to do this. Like, sure. Yeah, this is going to be awesome, because I feel like, yeah, it's too high, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. So I jumped, and like, you know that sensation when you first jump from the plane, like, <gasps> yep. Yeah, and I was like, just, I love this. And I landed, like, two jumps later, I was... That's it. Done with my IFF. You got it. You got to love the tunnel, man. Yeah. When it comes to that, you got to love the tunnel. Well, and, and for you especially, because you did your first jumps with people that were teaching you in the tunnel, so they, yeah. that trust is already there. Exactly. And especially when it comes to AFF and learning how trusting your instructor is almost as important as trusting your gear. Yeah. You know, and it both can take a lot of time. You know, gear fear and instructor fear is the same damn thing. You're like, all right, does this motherfucker know what he's doing? I agree, right? <laughs> you know, and not so much where you learned, but back in the States, especially when I was learning, some of the instructors were having safety meetings all the time, you know, back behind the hangar, puffing on this and that and the other thing. And you're like, all right, fuck. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know about this shit. Fucking hell. You know, and luckily that's, obviously that's changed quite a bit these days. But uh, um, to have that trust and then to already have the body awareness from the tunnel is a lot of fun. So, yeah, like two jumps later, they're like, hey, Anas, you can, you're a graduate. That's it. You can, you're done with the FF. <laughs> Third jump, I went on a free flight jump with Steph and Jay Russ, and it was just <laughs> awesome. My landings were shit. Mm. I had so much dirt in my mouth and <laughs> sand. But... As far as free flying goes, I was good. You know, I had to, um, you, you probably haven't met him, but uh, one of the guys I used to work with in Vegas, a guy by the name of Ray Kubiak, uh, who's a rock star on the tunnel, uh, and has just, I, I'd have to say he's one of the guys that uh, made the huge leap uh, with tunnel flying to become what it has. 
Um, I took him with a friend on his very first tandem jump, and he's out doing style tees and shit under the tandem. Uh, and then, of course, we got him. Uh, he starts becoming a skydiver, and he's doing this amazing shit in free fall, but his canopy skills left a little bit to be desired. Yeah. But it was so cool to watch this guy that's got you know next to no experience in the real air doing these amazing fucking things. But I'm sure you can attest to the fact, because you were a tunnel instructor for so long, not all skydiving transitions into the tunnel, uh, but most tunnel flying does transition into the sky one way or another. Yeah, for sure. Like, a lot of people that I've known, they just transition the other way around. Yeah. And it gives you, like, you know, because when you start with zero experience on tunnel or skydiving, you had a lot to focus on. You need to focus on the free flying, the exit, the opening, the landing. But when you have a tunnel background, you only the only thing you have to focus on is just how to fly it canopy you know? absolutely so absolutely you minimize the focus on one thing and you you learn quick when you get that you get rid of that tunnel vision that's involved in learning how to skydive and i was lucky in that i had enough time in the tunnel i think i probably had three or four hours in the tunnel before i made my first jump and it just uh it opens that awareness just enough that i'm no longer so freaked out over body position that i can't check my altimeter yeah. or if i'm so freaked out over altitude i can't pay attention to how I'm flying. You just uh, get a little bit more freedom in going, all right, I can fly stable. I can fly on my belly and I can keep my eyes on this guy. Hope that parachute opens, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it takes away that fucking overload that, I mean, you and I have seen many, many times with students where you're like, Jesus Christ, I know. there's literally, I could do anything to this person and there's no way they could stop me, Exactly. which as an instructor is fun. It's, yeah, it's entertaining. I agree. Well, I, I mean, we used to in Vegas. We had the uh, the Flyboys, who were you know way back in the day, one of the OG free yeah. fly teams would come to fly with us in Vegas, and they were fucking horrible. Oh yeah, and it was so much fun because they got used to that big space in the sky. Yeah, so, yeah, they don't in yeah, the they, tunnel teach you how to control your movement. You absolutely. Know? Well, and the other thing, too, with the Vegas Tunnel is there's dead air. It's not wall-to-wall air. Oh, yeah. You got those big pads, and so here's the Flyboys. I mean, this is Fritz and Mike and Eli just flopping all over the place and slamming into the wall full yeah. speed. And then uh, myself and uh, my old SkySurf partner, Mary Tortomasi, went out and actually got to do some free fly jumps with them in Paris Valley. And the first comment they made to us was, yeah, that was pretty decent free flying, but you guys went straight the fuck down. And I'm like, I don't know how to track. (laughs) That's it. Are you kidding me? I'm used to 12 feet of air. I'm going to fall straight the fuck down. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) You know, so it's funny, but um, all those skills did translate. But uh, it was funny watching these amazing flyers in the sky have such trouble with the air that I felt at home in. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. So now how did you decide that you wanted to do something stupid like attach another human being to you? Oh, well, wow. Uh, fuck would you do that shit? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> with all the pukes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I had enough experience and then I remember... Uh, so okay. I was at a drop zone, and uh, I just went to sit down with her, and uh, she was like, why don't you just stick around and do your reading? I'm doing it anyway, and get it. Nice. That's it. I took her, and I remember, you were the pilot, I think, on that emergency happen pop. Yes, I was. Oh, man. I would remember that. I, I think I think I we just talked about it yesterday. I was so mean. Here I am, chilling, you know, waiting for the altitude, <laughs> then you shut down one, one engine and yep. give us the alarm. 
and I was freaking out. I was yeah. like, shit, what, yeah. are the, what are the odds? Yeah. No, well, I remember because uh, uh, it was a big thing that you had decided you were going to, because you were just shooting video before and you yeah. were a very talented camera flyer. And so I remember thinking, why on earth? <laughs> Because I did, I went through the same thing, and and that being said, everybody that's ever listened to this podcast knows I love doing tandems. I loved yeah. being a tandem instructor. I hated it at first. Yeah, I've but, seen some of your students, by the way. Oh yeah, man. You know, I've had some, I've had some challenging ones. <laughs> but um, so when I found out you were going through it, and they told me that you were on the emergency exit one, where you were going to have to, you know, prove that you could get ready in a in a, a short period altitude. of time, lower altitude, the whole nine yards. And so I'm like, this was back when the drop zone that we were working for, I was allowed to um, feather one prop. I couldn't yeah. shut down the engine, but I could feather the prop and yeah. simulate an emergency. So that's exactly what I did. Oh, man, that was scary. Feathered the prop, let the plane yaw, set off the bells, the whole nine yards, which, of course, is great training for me as a pilot um, to learn how to deal with that and solid training for you. Oh, yeah, that was like a great experience. <laughs> so here I am trying to like rush into like harnessing – my student, then I'm like freaking out. Then I realize like someone is filming me. You know, I turn and there is Junior with a camera with a smile on his face. I'm like, damn it, guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've got the fucking uh, fire alarm bell going yeah, off like no. crazy <laughs> up in front. Yep, yep. That was that was the extreme. That that we only save for for friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, thank no, you, friend. Anasa's doing this. Oh, I gotta fuck with him <laughs> for sure. Well, now, so uh, let's transition into some of the really cool stuff that you've gotten to do. I'm super jealous because you got to do a jump that I've only been able to witness from the ground. And honestly, I'm I'm even lucky that I got to do that. Uh, you got to jump. Well, fucking tell me what you got to do. What, three? Is it three years ago or four years ago? Uh, I think it was three years ago. Uh, well, a lot of it was with the help with uh, Sujita, which I would like to say thank you to her. Mm. Uh, we got to jump with the Moroccan flag above Mount Everest. Mount yeah. Fucking and I would Everest. like to say thank you to the Nepalese people as well. They're super nice. And it's incredible. The people behind Skydive Everest as well Tom Noonan, Tom Omar Jaina, yeah. and Wendy, and everyone. Uh, thanks to them, it was a safe jump. Yeah. So it was like, uh, I think it was a world record for the biggest flag ever to fly above Mount Everest and the highest flag as well. It was like, man, that, that was a dream for a lot of people to climb Mount Everest, sure. but to be able, because nowadays a lot of people climb Mount Everest, but how many people jumped above Mount Everest? I asked somebody because I was lucky enough, and everybody's heard me talk about this too much, uh, but I was lucky enough to be there last year when they were doing Skydive yeah. Everest, and I asked how many people had jumped, and it's like... Less than a hundred people, I think, yeah. have jumped it, and thousands of people have climbed it. Exactly. So, that's quite a, an elite club that you're in. Yeah, and now with the the equipment we have in modern days, it's like we know the oxygen and stuff. It's a lot easier to climb Everest than you know back in the eighties or seventies or sure. whatever. So, sure. But yeah, like I don't know how many people jumped with a flag over there, but. For sure, I jumped with the biggest one so far. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. So what was that whole experience like? I mean, first off, what made you decide you wanted to do that jump? Well, uh, before that, I've done, a, you know, I took part in some world records, you know, like the Tunnel twice, mm -hmm. Chicago as well, and uh, went to the world championships as well in Prague with mm -hmm. Ivan doing VFS. And as a Moroccan no one heard about that, you mm. know, like, because Scaravan in Morocco is not a big thing. Like, up until now, if you say to someone, I jump from planes, they'll be like, get the fuck out of me. You're crazy. <laughs> right. So I got to think what get the Moroccans' attention, you know. And as a Moroccan, it took me a lot of times to think about it. But as a Moroccan, what, what grabbed my eye and get more in, interested in something, in a video or a photo, 
is the Moroccan flag. Back home, we just love the Moroccan flag. Mm. Starting by me, we would die for that flag. Mm. So that's how I got the first idea to jump with the flag above the pound Jumeirah. Okay. In Dubai. And it went viral in Morocco because I did it on the really big day in Morocco. It's called the Green March. It's okay. when uh, back in 1975 when we got the Sahara back in Morocco mm. from the Spain. So I did it on that day and it just went viral. Moroccans loved it mm. and it was like in national television, like newspaper. <laughs> awesome. Everyone was talking about it. It was really cool. And so exactly a year after that, a lot of people was like, what, what are you going to do it next? You know, what are you going to do it next? So a year after that, the date for Scar of Everest is the same day for that same day as well. The no 5th kidding. Of uh, the 6th of November. Oh, wow. So I was like, this is a great opportunity to do it there. And that's how I started make, making some calls and talking to people. And uh, once again, Sujita in Nepal, she's well connected. She helped me with get some, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, permit and stuff. Sure. And we went there to do it. And the best part, not the best part, but like the hike was just amazing, you know, like <sighs> just the nature, the mountains everywhere, sure. and uh, like well, like two weeks of hikes. Yeah. And once we're done with the jump, they were like, we're gonna take the chopper back. And I was like, it's gonna be like, I don't know, like 20, 45 minute ride. Bro, we didn't even get to sit down on the chopper, like five minutes, they're like, okay, we're back in, down. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So now, so when you did the hike, I want to I want to talk about the hike, because that hike kicked my ass. Oh, me too, man. Now, that being said, I, I was stupid, and I decided I'm going to pack all my shit in my backpack, and I'm going to carry it the whole way, and I'm not going to use porters, and I'm not going to use guides. And I mean, you can't get lost on that trail. Yeah. But still. You, at some point, it's so fucking hard. At some point, you're like, "All right, did I've made a huge mistake?" But you're a lot younger than me. How was it for you, especially as you're getting above like day three and four? Once you head out of Namchi Bazaar, every day was just, oof, oh yeah, fucking hardcore. Oh my god. Well, I was a lot into gym <laughs> back then, you know, with Alberto and stuff. Yep. So. It was hard for me, especially like we wake up at 6 a.m., 5 a.m., and we just start from the bed. You just start the hike. Yeah. Like, you, and the more you go higher, there's less oxygen, and like, it's so cold. <laughs> and you're just going like, incline like that. And I'm like, damn it, man. Like, why am I doing this? You right, know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it was really hard, man. And then there is this two guy, I forgot his name. Um, he's one of the guys who uh, created the, the top out oxygen mask oh, wow okay uh, the one we were using for the jump we met him in uh, Lukla airport and we went like three four days ahead of him okay and he, he we told him he told us like once you guys are close let me know <laughs> he did the three days hike or whatever he did it in one day yeah and he was like boom and this guy was like pretty old you know and he's, he's English by the way really yeah I'm impressed yeah man like he was like something but I would do it again. Back then, during, if you ask me, would you do it again? I'd be like, hell no, man. Right. It was like a one-time thing. Right. But now I'd be like, yeah, I would love to do it again. See, it's kind of funny, too. 
I knew even when I was doing it, I'm like, this is something I would want to do again because I felt so underprepared. And I trained a lot. I, like yeah, I, I remember, tried, yeah. I tried to get in good shape for it, and it kicked my ass. And part of it was not feeling great. I got the the cough, the kumbu cough. Oh, yeah. Um, didn't get it viciously, but enough that it, it was hurting. Oh, yeah, I remember as well. Yeah, I got sick, and I was like having high fever, and I couldn't meet, look, meet, uh, yeah, man. leave the pad. Yeah, it was Well, really when you bad. start getting worried, is this altitude sickness? I mean, it's it's that uh, um that hypochondriac in you that climbs in and you're yeah. like am I, am I just gonna drop dead oh, you know man <laughs> you know? and so even when it was going on i'm like i would like to do this again to do it better but holy fuck and then i went and did uh, cholo pass which was the uh, um the glacier that goes up a little bit higher than base camp that's quite frankly it should be a roped up climb because oh, it's yeah? pretty fucking hardcore and I did all that, and, and uh, it beat the shit out of me. But now that I'm, uh, you know, what, not quite a year removed from my experience, I'm looking at, uh, in the gym that I go to, there's always a video loop playing of people climbing um, Amadablam. Oh, yeah? And I'm I'm daydreaming about it. Yeah. Like, I, it was either that or Island Peak, which I know that Omar um, has done. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the, the uh, bunny slope, you know, for people like me that want to see if they've got the chops. <laughs> But I really am kind of I'm itching to see if I can do it. Yeah, I mean, now that you know what to expect and you've seen it, you'll be like, all right, I'm going to get prepared the right way. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I carried like fucking 60 pounds more gear than I and needed. You, yeah, man. Seriously. I, I got it to do with only my tiny backpack on <laughs> behind me. That's I it. had everything. Seriously, next time I'm taking like two pair of underwear <laughs> and one shirt and everybody can just keep their distance because I'm going to smell like shit. <laughs> But I had way How about too- the showers there, man? Oh. How about taking a piss? Like, it's just oh, yeah. like, you know, I'm like, no, I'm going to keep it for myself. Oh, well, see, I got to Namchi Bazaar and I actually spoiled myself because I stayed in a room with a bathroom oh. and a shower. So, oh. and I was, I was like the total American asshole tourist. <laughs> I took like a 20 minute hot shower, just exactly what they ask you not to do. Because yeah. I'm like, fuck everything. This sucks. Um, but then you get up to, uh, um, what was the one, Gorkachep. Yeah. What do they call it? Uh, uh, Gorka shit, because it's such a nasty place. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even stay there, because as soon as you get near the camp, you can smell it. And I marched through it, straight to base camp. And um, the, my mistake was that I had to go through Gorkachep all the way back down to Lobache, which is where I stayed. Oh. So my hike back from my base camp uh, ascent was like 10 hours. Oh, wow. It was not. Uh, it was, yeah, it was stupid for an old guy. <laughs> it was hard. But now, so the, the fuck the fuck the hike, the jump. I mean, I got some amazing views of Everest and, and got to see some spectacular stuff along the way. But I mean, Man, it's just so emotional, like flying by the Mount Everest, and which is for them, it's like a goddess, you know, yeah. like the, Chumalongba. Yeah. Yeah. And just going above it. But, in the moment, there is a lot going on in your mind because usually I jump with like a t-shirt and short or yeah. swoop pants, but there, here I am with like a massive suit for the cold. Yeah. And I have so much gear, you know, my helmet, big, huge goggles, the face mask for the oxygen, and a lot of tubes coming out of it really, sure. uh, connected to the oxygen bottle. And plus a tandem rig. Uh, the flag in front of me with like almost 20 kilograms of weight. Yeah. And since we're flying, I couldn't carry on weight with me from here because, you know, it's 20 kilograms and you have like 30 kilograms maximum to fly with. Yeah, yeah. So we filled it with uh, rocks. Just... (laughs) 
from the mountain. So it's just like you have 30 kilograms of their tandem rig behind you, another like 20 or 30 kilograms in front of me with the flag and the gear and everything, plus all these tubes coming out of my face. I had zero mobility, especially when sure. I jumped, throw the drug and open my parachute. I had Omar Al-Hajjailan and uh, another flyer behind me for camera to shoot the, the, the flag jump. And, you know, before I open the flag, I need to have con eye contact with them, see where they are sure. so I can open the flag. That way they're not below me. But I had zero mobility with my head. I couldn't turn right Jeez. or left. And because I had to I had to put the tandem rig in a different way than I'm used to for the bottle of oxygen, when I opened the parachute, the chest strap came here. like Under your chin? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. So I couldn't look down, I couldn't look right <laughs> or left, and I was like, you know what, just fuck it. I'm going to open this flag <laughs> now. Yeah. So I opened it, and it was a bit windy, because especially there was mountains around us. Sure. The winds hit the mountain, come back to you as turbulence. Sure. So it was like flying a Yaris off-road you know like the, 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 oh. and the camera flyers like they were like really tight for them as well to get closer to me especially because the canopy is all over the place sure. and I have like 20 meters below me of flag you know uh, it was it was intense like all my focus was in that one like five minute it had to be yeah it was like because it's not it's my life and it's like with yeah. the flag and here if something happens here in the middle of the mountains like it's like <laughs> right? to find me you know? <laughs> right yeah could you imagine you have to cut away low and land off yeah well for anybody that doesn't know the terrain that's out there if you're even a quarter mile off <laughs> You could have thousands of feet of vertical distance yeah. between you and wherever your crew is. Exactly. It's fucking crazy terrain. It's just pure mountain. Oh, yeah. It, it, well, and it's not just mountains. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. That was. I think that's what soaked into me more than anything. I've been in lots of mountains in my life, but I've never been in a mountain area where it just seemed so much fucking bigger than anything I've yeah. ever... How about flying there? Like, I was on my flight and look at the window and there is a mountain, like, right in front of oh, yeah. me as high as I am. You're next a to commercial the airline. Oh, yeah, the entire time. Well, I was lucky enough, too, that on the way back out, we were in a Twin Otter. And right. so I made damn sure... I think I punched some little girl in the face to make sure I had the front seat. <laughs> I didn't actually, but I wanted to. But I was, to make sure I could be all the way up in front to look out the front. At uh, Lukla Airport. At yeah. Lukla Airport. Were you scared to go there? Because it's one of the most dangerous airport in the world. No, right? if, I, if I'm being honest, I wanted to be in the front so bad. You want to be the pilot, I right? I to fly it Exactly, so because as a pilot, you'd be like, I don't trust this fucker. I don't know who is he. True. Well, actually, I, I think I trusted them. I mean, if you fly there, you can fly any fucking where. But we've seen so many accidents and crashes sure. over there, like. Oh, absolutely. Well, the, the big thing that scares me is not the competence of the pilots or even the maintenance of the aircraft. It's the conditions. And there's so many conditions that they won't even fly in. They're that careful. But the turbulence is something that you can't get around. And luckily, the day that I went in and the day that I left, it was super smooth. Um, but I have this just inbred fear of mountain wave turbulence because I had a really bad experience when I was a low-time pilot. So the idea of getting caught in a downdraft in an aircraft in the mountains like that is horrifying to me. Oh, okay. um, so I could never be a pilot in a place like that for fear of that kind of shit. Like, I can handle normal, normal turbulence all day long, but I fly on the seashore. I'm yeah. not, <laughs> you know, I'm not getting fucking major downdrafts from a mountain. Exactly. Uh, you know, so those guys have got some stones. 
balance. If you're in the left seat of a plane flying there, you're as good a pilot as you're going to you know, find in that situation. And then it's just a, a matter of being smart enough to fly in or out of the right conditions. True. But watching that, uh, watching going in and out is, yeah, it's astounding. The yeah. scope of how big that fucking place is, just you can't wrap your head around it. Yeah. It's I mean, some of the best pictures that I got of Mount Everest were from uh, the Overlook in Namchi, which is what? That's five days hike away yeah. from base it's camp. Clear, yeah. And it's just, you're looking at it and it going. It looks so close, yeah. Yeah. And it's, granted, it is only like 30 kilometers away at that point, but yeah. that's the longest 30 fucking kilometers of my <laughs> yes. life. Holy shit. A lot of up and downs in there. So now, how, how big did that. Or I should say, how small did that landing area look when you got the canopy open? Oh man, it looked like a—I don't know—it looked like a small, <laughs> like a circle. And it's not the landing. You've seen the landing. Oh area. yeah, it's like uh, not even flat. No, it's, it's like, sloped down. Yeah, and it's just—and it's rocky a little bit. And at one point, because there's so many trees, and you know when you jump with no flag, you can see where your feet are. So you're like, all right, that's my feet. I know how far I am from the ground. Right. But when I have like. 20 to 25 meters of below me of fabric i don't see the end of it you know and even if i do the angle that i'm looking at it it doesn't tell me if i'm close to the ground or not right. i don't want to cut away the flag over someone's head you know right so at one point you know like i just got away from all the people and i was like that looked close enough and it wasn't it was like 10 meters high <laughs> I cut it off, and uh, the way just pulled the flag down, and it just exploded immediately because it was full of, like, sharp rocks. Rocks, uh-huh. And just exploded. And I just went to land ahead, and I had a slide on my butt landing because it was, like, down the hill. Yeah, it's like a 10-degree downslope. Yeah. It's it, it's proper. Well, and I haven't walked all the way to the end of that because that used to be a runway yeah. until the porter that went in and out of there crashed. Yeah. And so they don't allow <laughs> fixed wing in there anymore. Which that is probably the most intense field I've ever seen. So, um, if for anybody that doesn't know, Scott of Everest runs everything out of helicopters. Yeah. Um, which in itself is pretty intense anyway. <clears throat> but seeing, I didn't walk all the way to the end, but I know that it drops off. So, there is no going long. Yeah. And sometimes we had like a window of like, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes to jump because yeah. the clouds come in and they just cover everything so fast. Yeah. It's like blink of an eye. That's it. You so see fast. nothing, yeah. So now, how was it? Uh, I got to. I was very, very lucky. So I did my entire um, trip on my own, and I had no plans for any days. It was literally just okay today. I'm going to try and do this or that. And so I did the uh, Everest Base Camp, and I did the Chola Pass, and I was going to go up to the lakes, but I really wasn't feeling very good. So I'm like, all right, I need to be smart and head down just yeah. in case. So I went down to Namchi, and I happened to get there the day before uh, the blessing ceremony. Uh, so I got a message from Omar saying he was going to be arriving the following day in Namchi Bazaar. And was I going to be there? And I was planning on hanging out for maybe a day. But I'm like, fuck, yes, I'm, I have to stay oh, for yeah. this. I had no idea it was happening. And he was such a sweetheart. He and Wendy and the crew there allowed me to sit in for the blessing. Um, and I actually tossed a bunch of my junk in. I'm like, please yeah, bless this awesome, stuff. Yeah. But how was it for you? I mean, it was an emotional experience for me watching it, and I wasn't jumping, but yeah. as a jumper. Yeah, we had to put all our gear, altimeter, helmet, everything that you're going to jump or use during the, that project to just put it there. And he just, you know, doing his prayers and everything. And we did it like in the morning. 
and it was cleared and all of a sudden this big cloud came in it just covered everything and yep. you're like that's just magical like, yep. it's like dreaming the and exact the same thing happened he made and we were like freezing cold and here he is wearing just like a red cloth above, <laughs> over <laughs> right? his body and I'm like damn it and you told me your story he was like in the middle of the prayer he got a phone call oh dude it was <laughs> fucking hilarious he's in the middle of doing the chant and the water's going and he's got the little drum thing going yeah. did, 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 back and forth and he's doing the chant and you hear a phone ringing and my initial response is what fucking fucker? asshole <laughs> didn't turn their phone off and then I see him still chanting digging into his robes and he comes out with a flip phone reads it and then stops the chant to answer the call <laughs> and everybody's dying laughing I'm like taking pictures of him doing that and I'm like alright that was the comic relief I needed because I was yeah. about to start tearing up it was so emotional it is well, man, it was emotional oh dude well when I so I've had this kick on Everest for a long time I read the book Into Thin Air in like I think 97 or 98 uh, and became obsessed with the lore of that mountain. Um, and so, and I've read that book a dozen times and then read all the other books around it and all this folklore. So, of course, you know, doing the hike up, you go past all the uh, markers for all the dead climbers, uh, two yeah. of which Scott Fisher and Rob Hall from, yes. from there. Uh, and I was all welled up and teary when I saw them. But when I got to see Everest for the first time was above Namchi at the Overlook. And I burst into fucking tears yeah i literally i'm walking past this lady who's just sitting there sunning herself and taking some pictures and i see it and just boom man something like in your chest move in and start shaking oh yeah it's just oh yeah ah. well i had to i'm like i'm so sorry she's all no it's you're actually not the first person to burst into tears <laughs> up here and i'm like this is just i didn't expect that actually i kind of did but yeah. it hit it just punched you yeah it is i was so amazed at it and especially because of all the history and the folklore behind it and yeah uh, and then especially to be able to go and watch this jump that's being done over the top of it. It's just epic. Yeah. Now, so you got to do this jump, but um, something extremely special for you happened after the fact. I mean, you've been able to do a few things now. You you got to do – well, let's let's talk about the other place that you're, you, you're jumping and doing as well before we get to that. All right. Well, after that uh... – I got to do the flag jump over Morocco. Right. And currently working on a project which is mainly in Morocco. It's going to be like a documentary about Morocco. We're going to jump. We're going to start from the north to all the way to the south. Awesome. Uh, it's going to be four episodes jumping above some special locations in Morocco. You know, monuments, natural stuff, cities. And just show Morocco using the eyes of a skydiver. And we're going to mix it with a little bit of extreme sport, you know. At some point, we're going to call like some local skier or kite surfer and nice. stuff and just show Morocco to the world that there is not only Sahara on it, there is a lot of other things going on. Sure. Uh, so that's the area of the project. We've been working on it for like a like I've been thinking about it and planning it for like five years now. Awesome. But we've been thinking about doing it for the past two years, but each time something comes up and we have to postpone it. Like this year, we have Corona again. <laughs> So it's going to be possible probably to the next year or something like that. Sure, sure. Well, now, so you did the flag jump over Morocco and then you got an invitation. Yes, I got inv invited by, uh, because each year around this week, which is like on the 29th, I think, yeah. of uh, July, okay. uh, all Morocco celebrate the king by uh, naming him a king for the next year again. Okay. So all the ministers, you know, governors go all to the palace and just like, you know, vote for him again right and i was lucky enough to invite her to that event and <laughs> by the king and it was just awesome you know like i got a business flight ticket from here landed there and here is like a brand new fancy mercedes waiting for me at the airport <laughs> 
with the plate, you know, it says the at the palace, you know, and my own driver, and it was right. just awesome, man. Black Mercedes driving th- like around, and he just take me wherever I want. I mean, how cool is that? Because you go out to do um, just something to to represent Morocco, doing the flag jump over Everest, and then you get to do this jump over uh, Morocco itself. But next thing you know, the king, yeah, is personally inviting you to come hang out. It is, and he's like, you know, like, he's like such a nice person, you know, and like he's well loved by the whole country, and he <laughs> just wants to push and heal and help young people to, you know, like do what they want and sure. follow their dreams. So it was really cool, and the Crown Prince as well, and uh, it was just a magical experience as well. All because you decided to get into a windy tube once. I know, right? If I follow my, you know, my, what I studied, I'd be like having an office job by now, you know. <sighs> complain about the whole week waiting for the weekend to come right. in so i can go and do something fun well and you're like me though uh, skydiving and in, in the tunnel for you has, has taken you a lot of different places and given you opportunities that you would normally have in fact you and i have been lucky enough to spend time in bali yeah oh my, oh god. my god running that around that place man. doing all kinds of stupid <laughs> shit and that was so much fun getting to uh, for for those that have never been to bali there's an island called gilly tea uh, and Gilly T is world famous for just letting your hair down and having a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's this teeny little island. I think you can walk around the entire island, the perimeter of the island, in about 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, and But there's no um, motorized vehicles. No cars, no bikes, nothing. Just people walking barefoot, no judgment. It's like freedom. It's like do be who you are. That's yeah, it. Yeah, bicycles, donkey carts, and crazy people. Yeah. You know what I didn't realize uh, um, Gilly T is famous for is free diving courses. Oh, yeah? I had no idea. I didn't know that I either. was way too busy doing other shit. Must have- <laughs> <laughs> We, we were lucky though. We went there like it, it was perfect because I well, we had probably twenty skydivers. Yeah, we kind of took over, which our, is hard to like, especially that we work together. It's hard to all of us get the same time off in one place. Yes, it's just like a one. It was <laughs> once a one in a, in a million, yeah, <laughs> one in a million chance that we were going to do it. We wrangled this amazing crew together and went and just got stupid on this island for a couple of days. Oh yeah, had this amazing time. We almost killed my buddy Derek oh, from yeah. Australia. Yeah, he almost. <laughs> died he was happy about it but he almost died geo we lost him for like a whole oh, two yeah, days yeah it was it was crazy i mean it was in true a true fucking fashion uh, but the the uh, one of the most memorable bits was the boat ride back oh man <laughs> oh man like let, let's not talk about that it was like horrible oh my god oh like the waves and i was like just bouncing right and left All and right. this guy puking right next to me i could <laughs> taste what he had for breakfast <laughs> It was just <laughs> horrible. Well, I remember when we were we were loading up in Gilly, and I raced to get on top of the boat um, because I had an inkling that yeah. it was not going to be a great ride. I'd rather be getting wet up top. And it turned out it was the best decision in the world because not only was the seas super rough and super choppy, and instead of being an hour and a half, it was more like four hours uh, to get back. But the the thing had diesel fumes, just yeah. kept going. So everybody had been throwing up and throwing vomiting up, and man. passing. I couldn't out. move at one point. Like I just had to put my head down over my backpack and I'm just like praying to just this trip has to end right now. Oh yeah. Well, and we were all trying to recover from a very hard oh, two yeah. days. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those two days and those shakes and that sunset. Oh. Oh my <laughs> God. The the never fucking ending sunset. Oh man. It's probably still going. On. <laughs> It's probably still happening. <laughs> probably, yeah. Oh man! So yeah, that was that was an incredible experience, and it's a bummer that you're having to put off the stuff uh, in Morocco because of Corona. This yeah. shit, yeah, <sighs> it is. Uh, 
but we have something going on that hopefully it's going to happen uh, for Egypt as well. Yeah, so year. tell me about this. This is with Omar, yeah? Yeah. Well, uh, it's going to be, lucky enough again, it's going to be on the 7th of November and the 6th of November and in Everest. Awesome. So it's going to be just a perfect timing to do it again there and uh, just to share the love of my country with the world sure. and do it. Man, I've been all my life fascinated by the pyramids and I've read a lot of things about them and doing a flag jump over that place will be just another dream to come to reality. I was so lucky to be able to uh, accidentally be able to visit the pyramids because I was doing a flight back with uh, an aircraft. Yeah, I remember. I think I've seen some of your photos as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, and myself and Taihuka, Tai, yeah. um, were coming back uh, home and uh, uh, the winds were not allowing us to make it. So we had to do a layover uh, in Egypt. And literally got off the plane, ran to the hotel, and went, how the fuck did we get to the pyramids? Because oh, yeah. we got there in the morning. And so, you know, literally having no no plan and no thought that we were even going to go there, the next thing you know, I'm standing in Giza and looking at these amazing oh, pyramids. Man. And half of the time I'm thinking, oh, to jump over this site. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? And yeah. even just to be able to see something like that is amazing, but to be able to see it from such a unique perspective that we have. Yeah. I mean, how incredible. Don't be like, oh my God, I've been dreaming about that for all my life. Man. Yeah. Like, just some fact about the pyramid. Did you know, like, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the coordinate of the pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Mm. The coordinate, you know those numbers? I've, yeah, I've heard. Are the speed of light. Is it really? Yeah. So if you took those numbers and you at the end you just put meter per second, that's the speed of light. The exact <laughs> same number. So how does people knew the speed of light back then when the fastest thing was a horse? Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, like, what was it? And and um, I please let me put this out there. I am an idiot, so you don't need to pay attention to anything I'm about to say. But wasn't there supposed to be a huge library in Alexandria that contained all the secrets? All this, I mean, thousands of years of knowledge that burned down. Yeah, it was oh, burned down. So I was right. Awesome. Yeah, you all were right. right. <laughs> you know, so God only knows what they actually knew. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think we're much further behind than we would have been had that knowledge not been lost. Exactly. There's a lot of, I mean, come on, we can't even agree on how they built the pyramids, let alone what went into it. Exactly. So. Aliens. At this point, man, after everything that's gone on this year. This year. <laughs> I wouldn't expect them to just show up to the party right now. But what else? What's next? Exactly. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? I'm watching my country crumble, you know, it's which is insanity. I'm watching coronavirus doing some crazy shit. People having to get super creative. I'm, and it it's brought out a lot of bad, but it's also brought out a lot of good. Uh, yeah. People, I've watched people band together in ways that I you, you never would have necessarily expected. So there's some good things coming out of it as well. Uh, for work, it sucks. Yeah. For entertainment, it sucks. Like, can we just skip to New Year? Exactly. <laughs> I did want to ask you, you had just mentioned, um, because you observe, so for Ramadan, you fast. Yeah. I got to give you credit, because I've seen you fasting and working. And I've watched you turn pale as a ghost. Oh, yeah. And ready to fall over. How the hell do you do that? I don't know, man. Like, he's just, I mean... You just, just, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, I'm not a word for that one. Because, like, not drinking, not eating, especially here in, in the Middle East, yeah, you yeah. know, it's just so hot and you have to take people on a jump. Or uh, I try to do camera during the month of Ramadan. Mm. But still, you know, you have to a lot of focus, keep the people on the frame, you know, and just. Sure. 
And it's just... Uh. Well, so, so actually, I want to ask, too, uh, being that you do observe and all that, how weird is it to be in as deeply entrenched in a community that you are? Skydivers are not known for restraint. I know, right? Skydivers are sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Free spirit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so we do a lot of shit that I would assume is frowned on um, in exactly the things that you're observing. So... I know you well enough to know you don't cast judgment on what people do, but yeah. do you ever just go, oh, fuck? Well, that's what I do. Like, I try to keep, like, when I work in the Middle East, I do nothing but focus on work, and that's it. Mm. Also, when I'm back home, I try to do nothing but focus on work, family, and stuff. But when I travel, I just like to have fun as well, you know? Sure. So I just have to find balance between work and fun, and... Doing it for such a long time now, I got used to it. Like, I can go to parties in the Middle East when everyone is, like, drinking, but I'd be, like, fine with it. You know, Mm. I could have fun with them with no problem. Sure. So... Well, now, what about when you go to the States? Uh, Say your first trip to the States in the first big drop zone. Did you just stand around going, holy fuck? Oh, man. Well, I've been to, like, a lot of... (laughs) (laughs) Chicago was just, like, madhouse. I know, because you said you went to Chicago, which is, like, the... the crown jewel of crazy town yeah, for Summerfest and during stuff. During a world record, you know? Right. Where you have to focus and everything, <laughs> and that once the, the sun set... All bets are off. All, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all... Well, before that, I had to do a lot of... I did a lot of trips to Amsterdam, you know, like I had okay. like 19, 20 times to Amsterdam. I even once where we had a standby back where I used to work with, the, with Alberto, ah. and he looked at me, and he was like... Amsterdam. I was like, "How come, man? We have to. We have work the next day." He's like, "No, no. We're gonna go now. Jacket, jeans, straight to a club. From the club back, back to work." <laughs> and I was like, "You know what? Fuck yeah, let's do it." So we just wear jacket, no hotel bookings, nothing, just a flight. We landed in Amsterdam at like seven, eight p.m. We called our guy because everyone has a guy in Amsterdam, you know. All right. And then we went to a party the next day by ten a.m. We were on a flight back to work. Oh Jesus. Yeah, he was. He yeah, was, but you how yeah. old are you? I was back then. I was like, oh, 28, 28, 27, you know. <laughs> Nothing in your 20s counts. I know, right? Yeah. Nah. <sighs> rubber bones, rubber brain. It yeah, all exactly. It bounces off you. Yeah, even after Bali back then. After Bali, we went back to, we did Amsterdam, Tomorrowland, Ibiza, <laughs> Amsterdam, Tomorrowland, second weekend, and then Budapest. That's like... Man, I was like, I just want my life back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I were to do something like that, it would be six months of fucking of uh, hardcore recovery and yeah. soul searching for me <laughs> if I did that. You should see Alberto during that trip, man. You know Alberto, he's like this big guy, muscly. Oh, that, yeah. By the end of that trip, he was like... <laughs> How funny is that? Oh, he actually, God. Alberto, took my daughter on her first skydive. Uh, she was supposed to go with someone you know, uh, Jackson. Oh, yeah. Uh, so she was supposed to go with Jackson because she had a crush on him. She's going to kill me for saying that. <laughs> when she was like nine years old, it was the first time she met him, and she fell in love with him. And I yeah. guarantee it's the English accent and the fucking hair. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure Jackson back in his day as well was like Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's too old now. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> It, uh, um, he was not available to take her on her first hand because that's what I wanted to do because yeah. that was, you know, I mean, he was the epitome of cool in skydiving. Uh, so the second best I could come up with was the super handsome, tall Italian guy. Oh, yeah. I'm like, here you go. There you go. And she, of course, she loved it. <laughs> she loved I don't know that her boyfriend liked me too much for that well, one. Well, I think but... that was the second jump when the boyfriend was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he jumped as well the second time around. 
Yeah. But yeah. the first time she came here, she, she was just yeah, yeah. She came yeah, on her own, own, and yeah. and and he jumped or she jumped with Alberto. Yeah. But yes, he's he's now jumped as well. Yeah, We're, I remember. Yeah, I was with them in the plan. I remember Alberto was like, "Yeah, damn man, Dean is trusting me with his girl, with his <laughs> with daughter." His and I was like, okay. <laughs> "Yeah." He said the same thing to me because I'm like, "Hey, it's my daughter, behave," and he's like, "Oh, dude, seriously, it's gonna be fine." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, okay." Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, it, it, I I wouldn't be able to keep up. With the the rounds that you guys were making back then, even coming back from trips from Bali, it was like, yeah, all right, just water and exercise, water and just you know <laughs> recovery, <laughs> right, right. So now, what are, what are the? I know you've got the the projects going on uh, in Morocco. Hopefully this year, if not next year, yeah. And you've got hopefully still Egypt coming up this year. Any other projects in the works? Well, apart from that, there is like a few flag jumps here and there outside of Morocco. Uh, I have this ski project that I want to do as well, uh, but going to require me to train for ski a little bit, which is jump from a plane. Because we have a lot of big mountains in Morocco, which mm. is full of ski, which is basically just jump from a plane and just with a surf, uh, ski, snowboard, okay, and just swoop the mountains with a, with a ski and stuff. That'd be cool. So yeah, I want to do that and uh, some other ideas. Nice. Yeah. Well, and again, we've been lucky in that we've we've been exposed to places and opportunities that are, are even special in skydiving. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be able to go do something like Everest, most people will look at it and daydream, but exactly, you know, yeah. they, it doesn't even cross their mind as something that they would allow themselves to want to do because there's no fucking way. Yeah. I mean, I'll never get to do that jump. The price tag on that jump is... Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just crazy, and it's just like because we grew up in 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 a culture where people like since you are young, your parents be like study so you can be happy, and you just keep studying, studying. Once you graduate, they're like find a job in an office so you can be happy. Right. Then you got a job. Oh, find yourself a wife so you can be happy. You get a wife, find you have kids so you can be happy. Right. And sooner or later, you're like fifty, sixty years old. Your <laughs> life is behind you, and we're like, fuck, what happened? You know, right. I haven't done nothing. Yeah. Now, how is your family in regard to um, the path you've chosen? Because it's not a standard path. Yeah, well, my uh, older brother, he passed away in Switzerland. He was just taking a shower, slipped in the bath, broke his neck, and he was living by himself. Jesus. So, yeah, uh, this is just from falling in a shower. So when my family sees me jumping from planes, they're like, be careful. You see your brother was doing something that we do every day, you know. Sure. He passed away and you're jumping from planes. But they know that's my passion and that's what makes me happy. So they're giving me full support on it. Nice. Well, and, and uh, um, hopefully to make them feel better, I'll argue in your in your uh, favor in that your brother passed away doing something that we consider commonplace and therefore yeah. put no thought into exactly. being safe. Yeah. Whereas we do something that's dangerous, so They're all crazy. of our thoughts go into safety. Exactly. Um, so I guess a good argument you're much more likely to get killed walking across the street than you are making a skydive. That's what I say to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you're happy, so I would think that that would be a big thing. Exactly. At least if you die, you're dying doing something that you love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this sport, we've seen, we lost a lot of friends yes. and close friends. Yes, we yeah. have. Um, and it's, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, was it our trip to Bali yes. when Micah went? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'll never forget that because uh, I was sharing a place with Moss, who's been on the podcast, and Gio. 
uh, and it was early in the morning. I think it was seven or eight o'clock in the morning. And all I heard was Moss yelling, guys, 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 Micah's dead. Yeah. And everything just stopped. Everything stopped. And it was very lucky that all of us were there because we had a crew of people that knew and loved him that could commiserate. Exactly. And yeah. talk yeah. and, and uh, um, feel shitty together. You know, where yeah. I, I've lost too many friends where I've just had to feel shitty alone. Exactly. Uh, you yeah, know? It just sucks as well. Well, and I don't know how you feel, but I hate getting condolences from people that didn't know the person I lost. Yeah. It feels very, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I would much rather you not say anything to me than pat me on the back and tell me to feel better. No, I'm, I'm not the one that needs to feel better. I'm, I need to feel this grief. It's the family. Exactly, uh, yeah. You know, so. Just uh, give me a moment. And yeah, I always thought that people wishing me well was misplaced and I always felt bad about that. So it was really cool in that respect to be around a bunch of people that just exactly. love that guy, you know. Um, so yeah, I think, um, for, for folks like your family, it's nice to know, Hey, you're being super, super safe and it's something you love. I also had the opportunity to meet another family from Morocco, um, standing over the hospital bed of a mutual friend of ours (laughs) after he misjudged a little bit, (laughs) um, and frapped himself in pretty hard and just landed in Sweden this morning. Look at that. Finally. How fucking cool is (laughs) that? Well, and it was you and I that were, were talking back and forth quite a bit when he was still unconscious after major surgeries. And, um, it it was just a low turn. Yeah. uh, As happens. God knows how many times in this sport, but I got to meet his mom and sister both flew in from Morocco and being the loud mouthed overbearing American, I tried as hard as I could to entertain them (laughs) and make them laugh uh, while it was going on. But I was really impressed with how um, relaxed they were. Um, They were super, super cool. And they were very much a, hey, this is what he loves to do. And he's going to be okay. We're sure he's going to be okay, but we support what he does. And it was a really cool thing to see. Yeah. Uh, Unlike a lot of Arabic countries in the world, Moroccan are known for being a bit open-minded about Mm. things, especially when it comes to, you know, the life you've chosen or the culture or, you know, like we're just open-minded because when you go some countries, like Arabic countries Mm. elsewhere, they're like super strict with what you do and the life you've chosen and everything. So the parents are just like, you know, do what makes you happy and sure. just be careful. That's it. Well, and for especially for me being an you know an American born and raised in in uh, uh, the states where we have very different opinions of of the Arabic world, and it's so nice and refreshing to have met so many amazing Arabic people that reflect the same things that I think and and the same values that I think. And although they don't do the same things that I've done, they understand or at least don't condone you know, or don't yeah. don't. Don't belittle me for the choices that I made, yeah. which is an awesome thing to see. It's something that I think a lot more Americans need to see. Yeah, well, we have this uh, <clears throat> in uh, it's in the Quran. It says, "I don't believe in what you believe, and you don't believe in what I do. I'll just respect your beliefs and you respect mine. That's yeah. it. And we're gonna have equals. Like, live and let live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not a religious person, but I can't say that I don't agree with." 
what I mean, it's the whole Ten Commandments, all that stuff. Okay, yeah. yeah. Do unto others. That I don't need any religion to tell me that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's so nice to hear that kind of thing. And and uh, again, being that loud-mouthed American that's traveled around a lot <laughs> and and been accepted everywhere that I've gone without having to change myself. Yeah. Just do good. You receive good. Yeah, man. It's amazing. Yeah. So now I always wrap up every podcast by asking Scott. That's it. We're wrapping up. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there because we got you got to give us some advice now um advice to new jumpers what should they be thinking of what should they be staying away from how do they stay safe in the sport and for old fuckers like me or people that have been in the sport for a while and maybe you're getting a little bit burned out maybe they're even burned out and in the tunnel they they started working too early uh, in the sport and they're not finding any joy out of it anymore what advice do you give to them to get that fire back well for the beginners i'll be just like don't rush up take it easy <laughs> yeah Listen to your instructor, especially when it comes to downsizing. You know, a lot of people right. downsize too quick and they end up hurting themselves. And they're like, oh, fuck, I hate that sport. <laughs> right. Yeah. So just. And I walk money now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what was the, that was the, the last one? You the said? old timer. So like you started, you started working in the sport. Uh, I started working very, very early in the sport and I suffered major burnout um, and it took about a four-year break for me to get back into it. And there's a lot of people out there that, I mean... Was it before stripping or after stripping? After stripping. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, after stripping. <laughs> Stripping's how I became a skydiver. It's the only way I could afford it. Um, I, I, I actually had to take about a four-year break to um, relearn... Um, why I got into it in the first place and to find that fire again and why I wanted to jump and go out and be a fun jumper. Uh, but what advice do you give to people that might be getting there? Because you started working right away. Well, if you if you got old and you re- reached that, that age, I'd be like, you got nothing to lose by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, all the fun that you could have is behind you. So just take advantage of what you got now and yeah. just go skydiving, man. Nice. Just go have fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's... A lot of the advice that's been given for people that maybe have been in the sport a long time and are reaching burnout is to try something different. And my advice has always been go find something in the sport that you suck at. Because yeah. uh, I've found that there's nothing more entertaining than having to learn again and um, being embarrassed because you just screwed something up and, and seeing somebody that's so much better. I just had Rafa on the podcast as well. Yeah, I saw that. One of the, he's just stupid good. Yeah. And granted, he's built for it, and, and he's got natural advantages. And But I watch somebody like him fly, and I'm in awe of it. And, you know, he almost reaches this hero status. Um, and then I get in the tunnel with, you know, a lot more jumps than him and a bunch more years in the sport, and I'm bouncing off the fucking glass, and I yeah. suck. But it's fun. And that's what Tunnel did, man. Like, it just took this sport to a whole new level. Yeah, and it, it created a league for its own. That's yeah. like, now we have tunnels. We have, like, world championships just in the tunnel and oh, stuff. Yeah. When, like, 10 years ago, it wasn't. It was, like, just skydiving tunnel. You do it to just learn how to fly so you can compete on skydiving. Yep. No, now the tunnel's a whole uh, different world. Yeah. So it just took the game to a whole new level. And that's why you see a lot of people with thousands of jumps with no tunnel experience. They hit the walls. And someone with like 50 or 100 jumps or maybe no jumps, 
flying like a ninja in the tunnel. Yep. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, though, that's the only reason that I get to brag at all is that I come from the skydiving generation that had to learn 60 seconds at a time. Yeah. So Old I get to school. brag that I might <laughs> suck, but I earned sucking. <laughs> you know? Uh, and it's not that you don't earn it in the tunnel, it's that you just learn so much more, so much faster. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you can, you can't go have a five minute skydive. Exactly. You yeah. know, and, uh, and when you, once you're out of the plane, you can't ask someone to change something until you land on the ground. Exactly. When in the tunnel, you can just shut down the tunnel. Hey, do it this way and this way. That's how we do it right. And put it on the tunnel again. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I envision in the very, very, very near future, all students that are serious about learning to fly in the tunnel are going to have air-to-air yeah. in their ears. Yeah. So you're going to have a, a, an instructor standing in front Bend of you. Legs, fucker. Exactly. That's just <laughs> going to be able to tell you right then what to do. Uh, for me, it's fucking hilarious, like uh, uh, getting up off the net on my head in the tunnels and I... I've got, you know, two or three of the world's best tunnel flyers hanging on to me, making me feel like I'm flying when, of course, I'm just hanging on for dear life. (laughs) But I'm like, look, I'm flying with these guys. It's amazing. As soon as they let go, I'm fucked, but it's great for now. (laughs) Well, look, um, first off, I want you to uh, tell everybody how um, they can find out about what's going on in Egypt. Do you know any websites or or, uh, uh, Instagram or anything? I would say go on Omar Lahjainan's Facebook page. You're going to find all the information. Uh, They do it like once a year, I think. Okay. It's an awesome experience. And... Or catch me on Instagram to see how it is if you're not skydiving. Cool. So how do we find you on Instagram? Because I know a lot of people are going to want to see these flag jumps that you've done and see pictures of Everest and all that stuff. Anas Bekali, Alpha November, Alpha Sugar, Lower Score Dash, Bravo Echo, Kilo Kilo. What is the I again? Uh, India. India. And El- Lama. Eh, that'll work. Okay, Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to have to play this back slowly. Though. Anas Bikali. Yeah, Anas Bikali uh, on Instagram. Uh, you got a Facebook as well? Yes, yeah, same thing. Okay, very good. So they can reach out to you as well if they've got questions on any of that stuff? Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Anas, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, my man. I'm glad we were able to, had a chance to sit down. Hopefully, Corona gives us a break and you get Egypt and all the stuff in Morocco. Hope now. so, hope so. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. See ya. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD, head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, we'll see you next time.